Hello and welcome to the Odd Couple Podcast. This is Siddharth here. And I'm Dr. Sheesh. So today with us we have Brigadier Mohan. Brigadier Mohan Kunath was commissioned into the Regiment of Artillery in 1971. He joined the Army during the 71 war. He had been a paratrooper and was part of India's Parachute Brigade. He has a wide range of experiences having been involved in counter-insurgency operations and anti-terrorist operations in places like Punjab, Assam, Tripura and Jammu and Kashmir in various command and staff appointments. He served as a faculty member in the prestigious College of Defence Management Secunderabad having qualified in higher defence management. He commanded a unit in the Far East and a brigade in Baramulla. He has also commanded one of the largest training centers, the Artillery Centre in Nasik. He has been twice awarded commendations for his professionalism and leadership. He holds a postgraduate degree in MSc and Defence Studies from Madras University and Masters in Management Sciences from Osmania University. He is an avid reader and likes subjects like life sciences, strategy management and spiritualism. Welcome to the Odd Couple podcast, Brigadier Mohan. Yeah, thank you very much, Siddharth. And it's a great opportunity that you've given me to come and uh, have some discussion on a very interesting subject that's on today. Yeah, it's such a great honor to have you here with us, Brigadier Mohan. And uh, thank you for joining us on this show. And we are recording on the 8th of March, which is day 12 of the Russian invasion into Ukraine. Although most of us are quasi-experts about this topic, uh, there are a few of us who might, you know, not really understand what is really happening. So if you could just give us a little bit of a background as to why Russia is now going into Ukraine. Thank you, Ashish. Thank you very much. It's a uh, matter of legacy issues. You know, the history is uh, something which big powers always use to assert the claims when they become very powerful. They make some historical claim. And the same way, the Russia is making a big claim in Ukraine because Ukraine is part of the Russian Empire for almost 300 years. And the Ukraine was okay till 2003. Then, if you remember, the Orange Revolution took place and the government, which was in favor of the uh, Russian policies, was removed and the new government came. A lot of leaning towards the Western countries. And that has upset Russia in a big way. And Russia has been talking about not crossing the red line because they said they'll never like the NATO troops to come closer to its borders because Russia has faced uh, historically two major invasions from the Western world during the Napoleonic era and also during the Hitler's regime. And they have suffered very heavily. And uh, a lot of strategic thinkers, United States, have been warning against getting the NATO closer to the Russian borders right from the 1991 when the German unification took place. It was a guarantee given to Russian Federation then, you know, post the collapse of Soviet Russia. So USSR, that uh, not an inch, their NATO will come towards Russia. But during Clinton era, their policy changed. Over the years, and more and more nations started coming under the influence of NATO, NATO control. And Russia always considered Ukraine as part of it, part of Mother Russia, because they belong to the same kind of a culture and a religious background, Slav. But the Ukraine always wanted to show its independent nature. That is why under the present leadership, they want to assert their right to be independent, move closer to the uh, Western world which was uh, considered a red line for Russia. So, uh, Brigitte Mohan, you, you talked about NATO. Now, you mentioned that NATO said that they were never going to come close to Russia. But 
the very creation of NATO was, you know, during the whole Cold War era and all these countries all joined up because of that Cold War which was going on and as an opposition force to the USSR. So I think there is a certain amount of fear within Russia when Ukraine is trying to become a NATO nation and NATO can then put their base in Ukraine. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. See, what has happened is... uh... When the Soviet Union collapsed under Yeltsin, the Russia was in a very bad shape militarily and economically. When Putin came into power, and he found that the 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 old glory of Russia was no more there, so he went about in a in a very very committed way to put the military in the proper shape, modernize the military, and put the Russia back into some kind of a economic status. I waited for Russia to have some power. He's a very, you know, cold and calculating leader. And he has warned the people uh, not to cross the line. And if you look at the geography, you find the Baltic states in the north and very small portion in along the border of Russia, followed by you find the uh, Belarus, which is part of Russian uh, influence today. And the other stretches, uh, thousands of kilometers of uh, the border with Ukraine. So Russia was very sensitive about it. That is why Russia, when the regime change took place in 2014, they immediately went and occupied Crimea and uh, conducted a referendum and declared that Crimea is part of Russia. So once and for all, they closed the avenue from the south, blocked it. Then they encouraged the dissension in the eastern areas of the Donstok and Lugnesk, two areas, and rebellion took place there and Russian influence grew up there. Now the NATO was declared as a not an offensive force in Europe. It was, you know, structured for defensive posture and Europe never had a military doctrine. The whole military doctrine is dictated by United States of America through NATO. So the Western countries just towed the line of America and America always looking for an adversary. Russia was pushed away from Europe much to the chagrin of uh, France and Germany, and Russia felt humiliated. That is one of the reasons why the Putin became so aggressive. Russia is one of the most powerful nuclear countries in the world. Right. Now, obviously, promises were broken by NATO, and they started moving east, and Russia got a little jittery. But why would, as you rightly mentioned, the largest nuclear power in terms of both numbers and size feel so threatened by Ukraine, which isn't part of NATO, which isn't part of EU, and gave up its uh, nuclear weapons a long back, saying that we won't hold any nuclear weapons. When all these things are in favor of Russia, why are they still so insecure and actually gone and aggressively taken over Ukraine? I know Putin tried for 20 years being diplomatic and trying to figure things out. But why did it reach such a breaking point? That's my first question. And second question is something that we'll talk more on the show is what will happen next? The first thing is, it is the first of a time a militarily powerful nation has actually crossed the line by walking into a sovereign country. After 1945, the first of a time, it's happened. So the Russia probably, you know, miscalculated. They thought that uh, the Ukrainian army might wind up faster and they would be able to create dissension within the people because a lot of people are very close to Russian and many people have Russian origin. And it did not happen that way because in the last about few years, the NATO countries have been pumping in weapons 
on the quiet. Mm. And they were quite prepared. You know, they have a lot of weapon system today. No, they are no match to Russian military machine. And that is exactly what happened. I think the 12th day running today, Russians are still finding it not easy to overcome the resistance there. We don't know what's happening inside, right. but they have actually now ringed the major cities there. They blocked the entry into the Azov River in the south, and they have declared the two of the rebel provinces as independent, and the Crimea is with them. And uh, the most of the their platforms are inside the Ukraine today, the firepower system. And it's going to be a terrible phase for the people of Ukraine the next, what's going to happen. But the Western nations have in a big way come together suddenly. I never expected this kind of sanctions to be, you know, loaded onto a country like this, including sanctions on the head of the state and the finance minister is almost like declaring a war on them. And it's going to hit Russia very badly. The whole world is watching at it. The future is going to be a very dramatic in this changes that's going to come in the geopolitics. Right. So that takes me to the next question, because as you so rightly said, there's heavy sanctions being put forth by the countries, by the businesses. We have Hackers Anonymous hacking everything within Russia. Aren't we cornering uh, already mad dog? And is that the right thing to do? Because right now, Putin is facing dissension from his own citizens. There's huge uh, protests in Russia. And all these sanctions, it's crippling its economy. Now he'll be like, okay, in case he backs off now, he seems weak. Two is, in case he attacks completely, he has nothing to lose. So will they actually go all guns blazing saying that, okay, fine, if Ukraine is there, then I'll start attacking Poland, the Czech, we'll get into Lithuania and Estonia and open up more fronts. And I mean, is that a possibility? You rightly said that, you know, whether he's been cornered or not, because of Putin himself has said, never corner even a rat, you know, anything cornered will fight, fight. So the question is whether the Russian president is cornered today as on today, not yet. And he has made his political aim very clear. His military aim is also, he said, it's not going to be occupation of Ukraine. He said it's going to be a military operation. And what is a military operation? He wants to actually demilitarize Ukraine, especially the eastern part of Ukraine, and ensure the regime is changed. Zelensky is removed from there and installed probably some Russian, you know, puppet there. Whether it's going to work out or not, because the people of Ukraine is not likely to agree to it because the resistance levels have been quite, I think, steep so far. And what is the way out? Will the Russians move forward after this into the neighboring areas? Not likely, because Russia cannot take on NATO. It's a country with 130 million people with a GDP of 1.2, 1.3 trillion dollars. And all its reserves, 50% have been frozen in the federal banks in the United States of America. And Russia cannot really prolong the conflict by escalating it. My reading is that it's going to be confined to Ukraine. He'll ensure that his political aim is achieved after the initial military aim. And uh, waiting for the regime in Ukraine collapse, which the Western nation may not agree to it. America will not agree to it. America would like Russia to get bogged down, like, you know, they got bogged down in Afghanistan, so that the American have a better focus in the Indo-Pacific. That may be the way that things might shape up. So uh, we were talking about why probably Russia isn't going down guns blazing. Is it probably because like what we were talking about, there are a lot of Russians who are in Ukraine and there is a big history over there. I think even Putin's parents, part of them are from Ukraine. So is it possible that the whole process is taking a longer time because they're trying to avoid civilian casualty 
and trying to attack only military targets as opposed to just going in guns blazing and taking off everything they could in their path i think there was a logistic pause initially and uh, they have approached from three directions and uh, the whole movement was stalled for some time it's taken some time for them to move in all these you know the equipments inside today they have ringed the kaiv and hargiv and uh, southern cities and take the cities is difficult whether will venture in the city because they'll be exposed to a lot of sniper fire and russia will russia will take a lot of casualties because their infantry has to move out on foot they are not going to be protected by any other weapon system so whether russia will do it or not or they will keep investing means they will surround the cities and probably wait for the ukrainian military to you know surrender or they might blast away but see information war is a very powerful today they have already shown a missile and attacking and destroying the high rise buildings that is all to give a message and he already put the nuclear forces on high alert you know he is rattling the saber so there is psychological warfare going on so we do not exactly how things are going to shape up but he will be forced to stay there keep the troops there he may have to put about a 100000 troops or to occupy that area for some more time this going to be a hard long i think a slogging match but only a few months that's what probably america wants to so it's going to be like the middle ages a siege of sorts where they cut off supplies or just stay there and flex their power until one of the sides blinks because i doubt they want to a repeat of uh, battle of leningrad which was a city warfare and which is beautifully depicted in the movie enemy of the gates where the russians took out the germans in sniper fire alone and it was halted at leningrad so i guess i learning from history they wouldn't venture into a city warfare but it makes us all nervous when they are bombing and attacking nuclear reactors and stuff like that so it is a little iffy whether the command of putin is actually coming down to the last mile to the actual folks who are fighting on the ground so that's my observation the one takeaway from this conversation is that on one front russia is fighting this war most people wonder why nato doesn't get involved in this but from what i'm understanding talking to you just these sanctions alone are going to go a long way because this war is not going to end in 10 days or 15 days like what people thought it's going to be a long fought war it's going to be months probably 3 months 4 months 5 months 6 months god knows you know but when it's that long economically russia is going to take a big 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 hit so nato not going in now probably and just putting the sanctions might just work in favor of these big western nations where they become much stronger on the economical front and they are able to push russia down what's your take on that yeah, yeah you're right i see that way because he if it is going to be prolonged there's going to be a reaction everywhere this information world okay information goes to every drawing room even russian people will be also be watching this and putin being a very powerful autocratic leader maybe not getting the right advice you never know he may be also you know advised by few selected people so he reality may not come to him he doesn't want to go down in history as a man who was you know eliminated because of this he also be very careful that's why he has agreed to negotiate so negotiations going on to put a stop to this discussion and his uh, demand has been for ukraine to accept the fact that the crimea is part of russia and those two small areas which rebelled they become in republics which uh, the ukrainians may not agree at the moment but i think maybe in a some time i think probably ukrainians 
may agree to a ceasefire based on some conditions. We don't know what conditions are going to be there. As long as the Europeans can accept the fact the Russian security is important for them also and guarantee some kind of a, a neutrality for Ukraine, like Dr. Kissinger said, that they must consider Ukraine as a bridge between the West and the East. That should come. Otherwise, there's going to be a colossal problem. You know, you talked about Siddhartha, Leningrad. See, unlike the earlier days, in the today's cities are modern cities, for example. They may have in the complete pipeline gas. There will be banks of the gas cylinders or the torrid systems and that thing. Imagine when the missiles fall on these buildings, they'll be totally you know, go up in flames all over. There'll be horrendous casualties. Innocent civilians will be killed in thousands and thousands. Will Russians do that or not? Will the Russian people accept this? These are things that we have to consider. And the Russia will get more and more isolated. Even India may have to take a very strong view on these things. But nobody going to accept it today in the world of information warfare. That's a good point you made. Probably let's take a break now and come on the other side and talk about India's stance with and what would be the domino effect for the rest of the world. We'll be right back. Is your diet killing you? Are stem cells the future? Am I just one medical bill away from bankruptcy? Demystify these questions and more with Dr. Viroshini and Dr. Ashish as they navigate the frontiers of medical science while breaking the barriers between the patient and the medical fraternity. Tune into Beyond the Diagnosis, not your typical medical podcast. Every fortnight on your favorite podcast network. A Pandemia Inc. production. So welcome back. And we are talking to Brigadier Mohan Kunat. And the topic is just getting heated right now. We want to know why is it that India didn't take a stance when the vote happened? Yeah, she's, that's a question a lot of people ask. In fact, people talk about the suddenly the morality because, for example... When the people fell in large numbers in Iraq and all that, our conscience is not pricked today. But in Ukraine, when an Indian child was shot and killed, Naveen, every parent felt a pain in the heart. And we also felt very badly about the future of the Indian children there, you know. And stuck, especially in Sumi, about six to 700 children are stuck there. So there are a lot of people in India asked, why are we not taking a strong stand? But the national security issues take priority. And India has always wanted to show strategic autonomy in taking decisions, not being part of one camp. But this is a naked aggression. So, rightly so, everybody expected India to be actually on the side of the United Nations resolution condemning the Russian aggression. But can India afford to do it? Today, India is sitting in a very difficult neighborhood. We have a China there knocking on the doors in the Arunachal Pradesh and Ladakh. There are troops are sitting there. It's never happened in the last 45 years. And we have dependency on the Russia. Almost 60% plus equipment, spares, come from Russia. We have a lot of tie-up with the Russia. We can't afford to suddenly take a decision which will totally go against our strategy calculations, defense preparations. And we have a long years of friendship with the Russia. Russia stood by us. In fact, through a thick and thin, when the world did not stand by us, Russia's veto came to our help in the United Nations. Whether it's the Kashmir, whether it's any other things, Russia always stood by us. So that is the reason why, for the time being, India has kept the door open. India has never said that they approve of what the Russians did. 
and they only abstain from it so that the doors are open. The Prime Minister has been talking to both head of the countries and we haven't lost any respect anywhere. So this is a strategically calculated move by India. I think that's a very good thing. In fact, the Americans also accepted it. Yes, India has a problem, but how long? When the conflict becomes bloodier and bloodier, things may really be moving in a direction where India may have to change, but we don't know how things are going to shape up. Absolutely. I think there's no right side, wrong side. I mean, right now we are, like you said, in a dangerous neighborhood ourselves. Here is a ally of us, you know, who has helped us many, many times, even in the 1970s war. But, you know, when we didn't vote, I think some of the sentiments which came out, especially for some of the children in Ukraine, they felt that, you know, because India didn't take the stand, now the Ukrainians were like, oh, as Indians, you guys didn't. So they could probably feel a little bit of the brunt. Yeah, and in fact, it, what India did was, uh, India has been sending, you know, massive medical aids and other things. You know, we've been sending Air Force planes and full of those, uh, you know, the aids which has went to Ukraine and the president of Ukraine has thanked India for it. I think they understand India's position properly. And that's a great point. See, I think most people don't know that India is actually helping Ukraine on the side, which is by sending them aid and supplies and food and medical aid. So, yeah. And do you see a possibility where India might broker peace between Ukraine and Putin, Russia? Would Modi do that? Would it make sense strategically? Siddharth Putin is a very determined leader and Russia can take a lot of suffering as a nation. And he has a military aim and he may be able to be persuaded to meet the head of nation of Ukraine, sit at the table and talk. That may be one of the options. And by the way, I want to also mention that we have to look at the relationship between Russia and China. If we go totally against Russia and the Russia turns its head away from us, and it's going to benefit China in a big way. Russian influence in China also beneficial to us in case of a conflict tomorrow. So India has to tread a very careful path. And India cannot really afford to annoy the European Union or United States of America also. So it's, a, it's not a very, very easy, you know, time for India. Yeah, so it's a tightrope walk. And I think so far we've done a brilliant job. But as you mentioned China, would China take this opportunity seeing how brazen Putin has been invading a sovereign country like Ukraine and NATO not doing much other than sanctions? And with China being the one of the largest exporters in the world, I'm not sure how much sanctions are going to affect China, like how it's affecting Russia. So having said that, do you think it'll be a great time for China to go ahead and take over Taiwan since they notice that, you know what, these guys are not doing anything to Russia. I might as well go get Taiwan now and then start, I don't know, putting a foot in the door in Arunachal Pradesh. Yeah, that's what a lot of people have been discussing today, you know, whether China will actually exploit this opportunity. You know, Russians have knocked at the door of Ukraine and said, okay, this is our legacy area. We claim and walk in. Whether China would do the same thing. But not likely because China knows very well that if they move in, they have to confront the United States. It's a nuclear power. And Taiwan is no cakewalk, by the way. It's like a f- aircraft carrier in the Straits of Taiwan and well-equipped. Japanese are going to be very concerned and they are militarily not very weak. There's a quad in place. And Ziping's plan of acquiring that superpower status will get undermined because uh, China has a lot of catching up in the economic development to lift a lot of people still out of the in a lower middle class status, almost 700 million. That's why he has actually unleashed a lot of reforms within the country. And China is a very careful country, you know, and uh, they will not 
go into that kind of a decision fast. Probably may not. And Americans may not lose focus on the Indo-Pacific because they will consider Indo-Pacific still number one priority. You know, China is going to be a major threat, not Russia. Absolutely. But China does have a history. Whatever said and done with Taiwan, and even till today, they still keep flying their, their sorties into their Aries region, which is their no-fly zone of Taiwan. So when they can do that, and even after, I think it was in 1995 when, you know, Bill Clinton had sent in his uh, ships over there, and China backed off then. But recently, when the same thing happened in the Straits of Taiwan, China didn't back down. They actually went forth again. So this time, because over the last 20 years, China has been procuring a larger amount of defense material. So China is now not the country which it used to be. They are a much larger nation with a much larger army. Even if you take the naval ships by number, they have a lot more than America, but maybe not by size. But, you know, so they have a bigger fight to put up now. So with all the slight differences and the economical stance where China has taken on today, being a trillion dollar GDP, who's to say, no? Yeah, you're right. Because see, uh, in authoritarian countries uh, may take a decision isolation. It's uh, quite a possibility. Maybe Chinese might walk in and say, OK, let's take few of those outlying islands next to Taiwanese Strait and see the reaction properly. Let's not go, you know, uh, holistically into that thing. They might, maybe prompted, we don't know, but the Americans are never going to allow the Chinese to walk into Pacific area or Indo-Pacific. They will contest it. And even the European countries like France is talking about increasing their strength in the Indian Ocean, Indo-Pacific area. The Chinese also have a, you know, very strong requirement of uh, getting their supply chain moving. Like, for example, in the present uh, conflict between Russia and China, there the BRI, you know, that uh, Belt and Road Initiative connecting the Europe is going to be under a lot of strain because there that particular initiative runs through this uh, Russian territory. Almost 23 countries and uh, they have built up almost, I believe, 23 lanes or railway line. And from the $8 billion, the business has gone up to $50 billion. They're planning to make it over $100 billion. It has suffered a setback. So they have carefully, they will weigh the pros and cons of, you know, doing this because they know the impact of sanctions. Unless they can replace power of petrodollar with along with the Russia and find a substitute to find the exchange of the currencies, that is going to be a big challenge. But I think that is happening with most of these sanctions which are happening, even Visa, MasterCard, all of these banks stopping their services with Russia. Russia is actually turning to China's Union Bank for those services. So probably, who knows? Maybe the, the petrol dollar might change. Yeah, I know. You've got a very valid point. Is what you said is very right. See, the last about so many years, the Western hegemony has been ruling the roost in the world. You know, almost, I will say, last 300 years, right from, uh, you know, 300 years, there's been some colonial power in the Western countries. And especially in the last post-World War II, the Western hegemony has been ruling the roost. America became a unipolar word after the collapse of Soviet Union. America is contesting the rise of China as a major power. American dollar rules the roost. And America gets everything on a discount rate because they can print the notes as much as possible. And uh, they control all the you know financial institutions in the world. So there is a requirement and things might be, you know, you never know the, the, the present world order might be upended as a consequence of this particular conflict. And Europe also might like to not keep Russia far away from them in order to ensure peace in Europe. 
and uh, China and Russia might come together. Maybe a few nations will join in creating a demand for a separate structure. If the Europe creates a political identity separately, wants to have their own military doctrine, that is going to be the beginning of the decline of the American power. I feel so. So you find that a lot of things are going to change in the world after this. People are not happy with the present world order because India believes in the multipolarity of the world. So there will be China, there'll be Russia, there'll be United States of America, there'll be Europe. If you look at the United Nations concerned, what have they done? They've become so powerless today. So the world has to change. Otherwise, we are going to face a lot of actions in the coming years. Things are going to grow, I think, really dangerous for the world in the next few years. No, I completely agree with you, Brigida Mohan, because... One is this whole economic power struggle which is happening across. China is giving loans to everybody, all these poorer countries in West Africa, try to unable Sri Lanka as well as Pakistan. And they are unable to pay back and then it becomes like a loan shark debt of sorts. And that's a different form of conquest. But like you had earlier mentioned that India is in a very tricky place. Neither do we have the economic might and the sheer powerfulness of what China is. And there is Russia, who is a good friend of ours for so many years. Now, what will happen, especially since you've been in the anti-terrorism side of it, the counterinsurgency side of it, you've been in Kashmir, you've been in Arunachal Pradesh, Assam, you've dealt it right on the border itself. Now, in case China does trespass, and they have in Doklam and other places, there was not too much of support from our other places. I mean, from across the world, nobody was pretty much blinking and we were trying to figure out things by ourselves. And there's the largest deployment of Chinese troops along these borders in the decades before right now. Is it posturing or will they actually attack? And if they do attack, because Taiwan, as you mentioned, US will come, everybody, there's a quad there. There's nothing much over here other than Russia supporting us and I guess Israel to a certain extent. Now, what will happen if China attacks us, and obviously the war will open the other front in the West too, with Pakistan coming into the play, how do you see that would unfold and what will be the ripple effect across the world? Yeah, that's an analogy which the people have been talking, you know, in terms of a likelihood because of the China might get emboldened. So, But it's not going to be a cakewalk for China. India is well prepared and India has the experience and uh, China knows about it. And India has never been extracting power like other world powers. And India has been a giving power. People know it. Acceptance of India as an emerging power is there and the, throughout the world. If you talk about any countries, Australia or Japan or Germany. In fact, recently, I think today, yesterday only, the Germany has praised India's diplomatic efforts. It's an outstanding effort, they say. So world over, India's acceptance is very high. And uh, they want India to flourish and develop today, unlike earlier days today. And they know India is a democratic country and is an emerging power. And today, India has built up its strength along the line of actual control with China. And it's got a formidable presence today. And China knows about it. It's not ever going to be a cakewalk. And China has been very, very cautious about pushing you know, itself to boldly beyond the limit. It may be testing the waters slowly. That's what it did in Dakulam, it did in the Ladakh, and India has been very determined. And they know that the political system in India today led by a very strong leader, and India has a support. And also, the United States need India to play an active role in the Indo-Pacific today. India cannot be, you know, sidelined if they have to confront China. Indo-Pacific has to be with India. 
to that extent, I think, yes, you're right. There may not be any boots coming on the ground in case there's a confrontation. India has to do it all alone. India has to be strong. India has to move faster indigenization of the defense equipments. And to that extent, I think probably we should be prepared for contingencies. But that kind of an analogy will not be fair, not based on what is happening in Ukraine. Nobody can consider India as a pushover. That must be understood. I think that was really brilliant. I mean, um, what you're saying. But I have to ask you, when you hear all this, you know, you see Russia going in, you hear China, another dominant power, which has in its history gone into other territories. You see the Western power and a shift of power, the whole geopolitical sense is changing. And this situation right now in 2022 has created a moment where we all have to sit back and think, do you think World War Three can happen? Yeah, we can never say no. When you do this, it's a kind of a crystal ball, you know, gazing into what's going to happen tomorrow. All the decisions are taken where the wars, when breaks out, based on the uh, decision taken generally most of the time by some world powers, you know, and controlled by some authoritarian decision maker, you know, miscalculation. This is a danger today. For example, Europe is going to really ramp up its militarization. Germany has said their defense budget is going to go up to $112 billion. Japan is trying to say, okay, let's also militarize in a big way. The Australians are being now given all assistance to develop their own nuclear submarines. If you look at it, a lot of money is going to be pumped into creating that kind of military structure, which is very unfortunate. So money actually should go for the fighting the climate change, education, health. It's going to be now. They say the world average expenditure of the military budget today is moving from 3% to 6% or so. And uh, if you take away so much of money, the nations are going to militarize. And seeing the example of Ukraine, who surrendered all the nuclear weapons, smaller nations might think, yeah, why don't we become a nuclear nation? Because nobody will touch us. So there is a very dangerous trend, you know, today's world. So there is a very, very real possibility if we don't really sit down and change the world order, that is possible that the nations could be at each other's throat and we can go into kind of a third war stage is quite possible. It's a very interesting point because I think the biggest beneficiary from militarization is a military economy like US where it's a war economy, right? Yeah. So all these people who want to buy and militarize and up their spends, who are the people they go to? They'll go to France, Israel, US, UK, Russia, China, the big powers again, who's all on the UN. It's kind of funny. Yeah, kind of funny. yeah but I think what my biggest fear in this scenario, what has really changed in this situation is like if we take history before any of the world wars which happened, it didn't happen when somebody went into Afghanistan. It didn't happen when somebody went into Syria. It didn't happen, you know, in those kind of situations. But it always happened when somebody went into a European country. So Europe has this history of starting world wars when somebody starts changing things over there. You're spot on, Ashish. You know, in Iraq, one million people died. Does anybody realize it? In Syria, half a million people almost died. And Yemen, almost quarter million people died. Do the world people talk about it? Nothing. But look at what's happening in Ukraine. When somebody dies, there are few people. Everybody's sensitive about it. Everybody's talking about it today. So what you said is right. What is happening in Europe is going to be played up in a big way. Because it is the Western sphere of influence under America playing up already. And they're going to ratchet up this kind of a 
thing to ensure that they become stronger, united, come together, stay together. So somebody feel threatened, Russia and China might also come together. It's going to create uh, real areas of tension. And uh, we have to be very careful. I think the world has to wield. That's why the, probably the India might emerge as a nation acceptable for creating peaceful environment in the world. India may acquire a big leadership role in uh, persuading the nations to you know, move away from this stage of confrontation. It's quite possible India could emerge as a you know, big influence in the world tomorrow. Absolutely. I think the powers of yesteryear is kind of shifting. The dynamics is shifting and we're seeing the repercussions of it. And so, yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed and hopefully level minds prevail. I completely agree. Thank you so much for enlightening us, Brigadier Kunat. I think this is like a fabulous chat where we kind of realigned certain misunderstandings, certain new truths, certain possibilities that could unfold in the future. And as Ashish said, hope level minds uh, prevail. So let's hope for the best. I think we all of us want peace collectively. I think there's nobody who really wants war. I guess there's certain few people who want it and certain circumstances that lead to it. All we can do is sign off the show with a little prayer and hope nothing goes to too south by the time we release it or anytime anybody listens to the show in the future. So thank you so much, Brigitte Kunath, for joining us in the Odd Couple podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, uh, one thing I think you've not asked is what are the astrologers in India? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Because normally, you know, India is a country where the people say there is a problem. Okay, let's see, go and see what the astrologers say about this, the future of this world or Ukraine and Russia conflict. I'm sure a lot of them must be working very hard to give you some kind of advice. I'm sure there's a poster right outside our gate <laughs> offering those services. So we'll go check that out. Thank you, Siddharth. Thank you, Ashish. I mean, really honored to be present here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brigadier Mohan, for this enlightening conversation. And let's see what the future holds and hopefully have another great conversation and things have resolved. So until then, see you on the other side. This is The Odd Couple signing out. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.